All right, what am I doing here? Security authorization accepted. All right, here we go. You and your crummy comic books, that's all you ever think about. They're comics, you ass! Tell me how comic books make you feel, Dave. Well, it'll make me feel too good. A couple of times you've got a comic book, I chew up. The real question is this. Are comic books good, or are they not good? This comic book describes a sexual aberration so shocking that I couldn't mention even the scientific terms on television. I think there ought to be a law against them. Tonight I'm going to show you why. everybody welcome back to views from the long box i am your host michael bailey and this is episode 31 for march 5th 2008 and you know in all honesty it's been kind of a bizarre week here at the uh, fortress of bailey tude uh, last weekend we had inventory at work which in uh, retail parlance means that i went through about the fifth or sixth concentric circle of hell uh, for about 22 out of 48 hours, I was actually at work, either uh, participating in inventory or prepping for inventory. It was kind of the suck, uh, which which was kind of depressing after such a great birthday. Uh, last Friday being my birthday, which you know of if you listen to uh, last week's episode. Uh, last Friday on the 29th, uh, my wife and I had a few people over, and it was very nice. Uh, we're kind of a low-key uh, couple, so we had a low-key party, as opposed to a party with Loki, which I guess would be kind of fun. I mean, he is the god of mischief and such, so at least I think he is. God, I hope he is, or I'm just making a total ass of myself here on a uh, pre-recorded podcast. Uh, but, you know, we got together with some friends, we laughed, we watched Justice League New Frontier, which I had seen, which was my second time seeing the movie, actually. Uh, my wife even made her famous, and, and I actually mean this, this this cake that she makes, which we call the chocolate lava cake, uh, which is a dark chocolate cake with uh, bits of dark chocolate in the, you know, thrown into the batter, uh, covered, uh, sopped with, uh, one might say, about 12 layers of various chocolates going from 100% dark to white, which isn't really chocolate at all, but, you know, hey, what are you going to do? But she uh, she did something really cool, <laughs> as she always tries to with my birthday cakes. Uh, she, she made a little volcano, and, you know, all the chocolate coming out was made to, you know, be like lava. She even, like, put red food coloring on it. And she made with fondant 
and other smaller cakes, uh, houses, and a boulder. And she took one of my Superman action figures and put the boulder on top of it to make it look like he's going to throw the boulder on top of the volcano, much like he would do in an episode of the Super Friends or God Help Us in Superman 4. It's a really good cake. Uh, I'm not much of a chocolate person, or at least I wasn't until a couple years ago when suddenly the chocolate switch got flipped inside my head. But overall, fun party. Good time was had by all. I uh, <laughs> At one point, I was uh, sitting there talking to my friend Lisa, and I was explaining to her that uh, my opinion that the song Bad for Good, which was from Bad Out of Hell 3, which I think was released last year, was it the year before? I don't really remember. Um, but that Bad for Good from Bad Out of Hell 3 sounds like a parody of a Meatloaf song actually sung by Meatloaf. And I realize that saying a Meatloaf song is kind of a misnomer since Jim Steinman wrote most of, if not all, of Meatloaf's hits. But Bad for Good really and truly, and, and I played it for her and she finally agreed for me, sounds like three or four different Steinman Meatloaf's songs squashed into one. I mean, check out this intro. The sea is whipping the sky The sky is whipping the sea you can hide away forever from the storm, but you'll never hide away from me. The icy cold will cut us like a knife in the dark, and we may lose everything in the way. But the northern lights are burning, and they're giving us sparks. I want to wrap myself around you like a winter scheme. So... Right away, we have that kind of screaming guitar intro thing going on and some truly nonsensical lyrics. And, you know, in all honesty, I like Meatloaf and Steinman, but there are times where I just can't justify what Steinman has laid down for Mr. Loaf to sing. I'm sure they make sense to someone, just not to me. So then, the song starts to pick up a little. I'm really disturbed by the whole, I'm onto your scent, I'm chasing you down, I'm sitting outside of your house with a high-powered camera and a telephoto lens, taking pictures of you as you sit and watch the latest episode of Lost type of vibe this song has suddenly taken on. Very creepy, made even creepier by the fact that he wants to wrap himself around the girl like a winter skin, whatever the hell that means. Now, I've been kind of out of the dating scene for a while now, but I don't think things have changed to the point that the women are now wanting men to wrap themselves around them like any kind of skin, much less a, 
a winter one. I mean, that just that's, sounds kind of gross. Cold, really. And the creepiness continues, as Meatloaf's ultimate plan, apparently, is to capture the woman he has been stalking, release her from the cage that is her normal life, make her yell at the top of her lungs, and then subject her to sleep deprivation, because life with him is so fantabulous, she couldn't possibly need any more rest. God, what the hell is up with this song? What? No, seriously, what the hell does that mean, and how can that possibly attract a member of the opposite sex? Baby, if I want something, then I need something. Just need it. And if you were wanting any kind of sensitivity or kindness, you can forget that, because I'm not built for comfort. No, I am built for speed. Man, that is like the worst pickup line ever. Ever. Because, you know, that's what a woman really wants in a mate. Speed. Well, maybe she does if she's some kind of meth addict. I doubt that the average woman on the street wants the words, I'm really, really fast, coming out of the mouth of the guy that's kind of hitting on them. And then there's this. All right, let's see if I have this straight. We have sleep deprivation. We have a man who is fast and now apparently unwilling to change and be the bad boy for the rest of his life. Right. This guy sounds like a keeper to me. (sighs) Now, on a musical front, this is where the harmony of former Meatloaf songs come together in one evil stew. The song itself sounds kind of like out of the frying pan and into the fire, which I admit to liking, much in the same way that I like Twinkies. I mean, there's nothing good for me there, but I just like the way it sounds. Or, in the case of Twinkies, tastes. Because, well, Twinkies really don't sound like anything. I mean, when you open them, you got the crinkling of the wrapper, but but still. Anyways, uh, then... You have the kind of Phil Spector motifs, as in musical motifs, not maybe killing someone motifs, though who knows where the girl in this song is going to end up, uh, that were prevalent in You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth, and the ever-present chorus that is in multiple Steinman songs, not just those sung by Meatloaf, including Celine Dion's It's All Coming Back to Me Now, Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart, and Air Supplies Making Love Out of Nothing at All, which are all songs which, you know, kind of sound like Meatloaf should be singing them anyways, right up to the point that Meatloaf sang It's All Coming Back to Me Now in Bad at Hell 3. 
The song continues with a bizarre bridge that sounds like something out of everything louder than everything else, and it's like there was this person out there who decided that they needed to write their musical thesis on Jim Steinman. And the sad thing is, I kind of like this song. And thus ends the musical analysis portion of Views from the Long Box. <laughs> wow, that, that had absolutely nothing to do with comic books, did it? Man, I, I gotta get back on track, get this thing back about comic books. Um, um, uh, okay, I will now use my mutant ability to link anything anyone is talking about to comics and inform you that the song in the Land of the Pig, The Butcher is King from Bat Out of Hell 3 was originally written, or at least as far as I'm aware of, was originally written. Who knows how long that song was kicking around Steinman's head. But the song was originally written for a Batman musical that Jim Steinman was writing the music and lyrics for. I think I've actually said it before on this show, but I will reiterate with a qualification that I believe Scott C. of NeedCoffee.com pointed out to me, that unless it is an episode of Justice League Unlimited, the idea of Batman singing is kind of a bridge too far for me. Superman singing I can see, and actually have, thanks to a local community college doing a production of It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman in my senior year of high school. I can even see Spider-Man singing, thanks to that mostly god-awful Spider-Man rock reflections of a superhero that was released in 1975, which sounds like some bizarre rock opera of Superman's history. But Batman? Man, the visual image of Batman in his costume standing there and scowling and all of the emotion it inspires from appreciation of the simplicity of his design to, hey... That's kind of badass that I like so much. Would just be ruined if he opened his mouth and sang. Batman smiling I can take, especially if it's done right. Batman singing in a context that is meant to free Wonder Woman from Cersei's spell that transformed her into a pig is fine. But to have Batman sing to do what songs in a musical is are meant to do, which is to further the story by having the character sing instead of deliver a monologue if it's a solo or have a conversation if it's a group number or duet, just doesn't work for me at all. I mean, okay, think about Batman Begins for a moment. Heck, think about the 1989 Tim Burton-directed Batman and even Batman Returns. Think of all of the relationships between the characters. Think of Batman talking to Gordon at the end of Batman Begins. Think of any scene with Catwoman in Batman Returns. And think of Bruce Wayne and Vicky from Batman. Now imagine those same scenes, but the characters are singing. Now I'm all for art, and I'm all for stretching the form, but wow, it would just... It would just take me out of the fiction to have Batman sing in a way it wouldn't with Superman. The Superman musical, the previously mentioned It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, was produced in 1966. So right there, you're in the Silver Age, where for Superman, pretty much anything went. This was still during the Wessinger era, where goofy plots were the norm, and despite being at the tail end of that, particular chapter in Superman's history, it was still firmly entrenched in the silly. Superman singing in that context made sense on some bizarre level, because you can honestly believe that given all of the other stories going on at the same time, a Superman tale where he had to sing for some messed up reason, 
most likely red kryptonite or something, made sense. Superman singing about how every man has a job to do, and his job was doing good, works. It's totally insane, but just about everything was in 1966, because pop and camp and whatever was in. This was actually the same year that gave us the Batman television series with Adam West and Burt Ward, which was kind of silly on its own. Huh... Maybe I should amend my statement. Maybe during the 60s, a Batman musical would have worked. Maybe I'm being kind of stodgy in my opinions. Maybe I'm just of the mindset that a dark, gothic Batman musical wouldn't work today. Okay, I qualify my statement again. Unless it is between 1966 and 1968, a Batman musical would not work. At all. Then again, I don't want a Batman musical because I think the song My Parents Are Dead would just be horrendous. I mean, just freaking awful. Speaking of music, the other day I was thinking about the theme for Mask. Uh, I actually played this a few episodes back. Actually, I played the extended theme to Mask. But, you know, all in all, it's, it's not a bad theme, really. Theme songs from the 80s that were for animated series based on toy properties were pretty hit and miss. But Mask, which stood for... Mobile Armored Strike Command, by the way, had one of the better ones, or at least one of the less mediocre ones. I was amused to find that extended version because A, I liked finding those kinds of things, and B, it struck me that the studios that produced these series actually put the money into a a two-and-a-half-minute version of a song that was normally supposed to be about 30 to 60 seconds long. It kind of makes me wonder if other shows had extended themes as well, like He-Man or Transformers, or even G.I. Joe. Now, G.I. Joe did play with their theme a lot in the commercials for the comic books as they wrote lyrics that fit whatever issue they were pimping, which in turn was pimping whatever new vehicles and figures Hasbro was releasing at the time. And you know, that's actually kind of funny. At that time, G.I. Joe, or at least its real American hero incarnation, premiered, there was a limit on the amount of animation you could put into a toy commercial. I'm guessing it was to keep the evil toy companies who were out there to get all of the money that the mindless parents of those little kids had from fooling said mindless kids into thinking that the toy or figure could do something it couldn't. Add to the fact that certain parents' groups not only believed that violent shows would lead to a culture of violence, but also that the animated series based on toys were just 30-second commercials for said action figures and vehicles, and you had restrictions on how much animation could be in a 30-second spot. So the powers that be simply got around this by doing commercials for the comics, which was a first in the United States. An actual commercial for a comic book. On TV. I'm almost 100% sure that this had never been done before, and since it had never been done before, there were no rules governing the content. So every few months, Hasbro would hand down to Marvel what vehicles and characters they wanted to introduce, and Larry Hama would write an issue that somehow featured all of them, and considering how good that series was in its first hundred issues, I commend all involved for pulling it off and getting around the fact that you couldn't have an animated toy commercial for Zartan, but man, you could whip up a comic commercial that was just wall-to-wall animation, complete with a Zartan theme song, and be just fine and dandy dandy and fine. Yay to sticking it to the man. 
Anyway, back to the mask theme. I was amused to find out that the extended mask theme actually worked in Mask's tagline. Most of the 80s tunes slash toys had them. G.I. Joe was a real American hero. Transformers was robots in disguise. Mask's tagline was, Illusion is the ultimate weapon. Illusion is the ultimate weapon. No, it isn't. A tactical nuclear bomb, that's the ultimate weapon. Ultimate weapon implies that you are going to smite your opponents with the fury of an angry god. Illusion is a... it's a trick. It's a convenient one, mind you, and would probably fool Venom once or twice, but after a while, the vicious evil network of mayhem would begin to suspect that any vehicle on the road driving along might be a mask agent in disguise. So when Mom and Dad and the kids are busy motoring their way to Dairy Queen to get a dipped cone or an Oreo blizzard, Miles Mayhem is going to spot them and think, That Matt Tracker thinks he has me fooled, but he shall not succeed! And then Mayhem blows them up. Good going, Matt. Uh, Really good job there. Illusion isn't the ultimate weapon. Illusion is the ultimate cause of collateral damage. It's, It's kind of amusing to think that the last name of the bad guy is Mayhem. You know, when, when your last name is Mayhem, people are people are going to give you the stink eye from word go. He never really had a chance, is what I'm saying. High school must have been hell for him. I guess that's why he started hanging around with some dude named Cliff Dagger. Another guy was pretty much screwed from word go. You know, Mask actually had a, a comic series, too. DC put it out. I believe there was a four-issue miniseries which apparently did well enough to have an ongoing yet short-lived series. I think it went like 12 or 14 issues. I'm too lazy at this point to do any kind of real research. Why why should I? I mean, well, I should, but, you know, that's just me trying to play off the fact that I didn't do any research on that. You know, (laughs) you know, DC put out a mask comic book for a while there. They had the four-issue miniseries, followed thereafter by a short-lived extended series, uh, which, from all accounts, was was pretty awful. DC really didn't do all that much with uh, licensed properties in the 80s. Marvel pretty much had that market cornered. DC had, uh, well, they had Mask, uh, they had the Centurions, I believe, and they had Cops, the uh, central organization of police specialists, fighting crime. In a future time. Uh, Marvel had everything else. Marvel had G.I. Joe. Marvel had Transformers. Marvel had ROM, which was a toy property. Marvel had Star Wars. Marvel had Shogun Warriors. Marvel had Micronauts. They had He-Man. They had Thundercats. And they even had the Inhumanoids. As well as doing thousands upon thousands of movie adaptations, which seemed to be released every three days from about 1982 to 1987. So yeah, it's, it's one area where Marvel had been kicking DC's butt for a good while. You know, I, I really wonder how that Mask comic is. I wonder if it's any good. Huh. God, I, I am all over the place this week. I, I'm, I'm sorry, folks. I really am. My mind is, is not on the podcast this week. I, uh, I'm really kind of sorry about that. I... You know, in addition to having the rough weekend, I got a distraction 
via the miracle of UPS today, I came home and sitting in my chair was a small package containing the Superman the Music 1978-1988 8-disc box set of CDs, and holy crap, is this set awesome. If you haven't heard, Film Score Monthly has produced a limited edition box set of the scores to the four Christopher Reeve Superman films. Now, I know I just did a whole Superman-themed episode, but this... This fantastic treasure trove of awesome bears mentioning. Not only does it include two discs with the complete score for the first film with extras, not only does it include the complete score to Superman 2, which had previously been released as an abridged LP, as well as being part of a uh, two-disc set in Japan, not only is uh, does it have the complete score to Superman 3, which again had only the abridged LP released here in the States, and the you know, part of that double CD from Japan. But it also has two discs for the never, ever, ever released score to Superman 4. Now, I know what you're thinking. My God, Mike, why why would you want such a thing? The movie was terrible. Even after seeing the deleted scenes, the film was an affront to man and God. Why, Mike? Why? Why have you forsaken us? Well, the answer is simple. Uh, despite the film being 16 pounds of crap shoved into a four-pound bag, with a few good moments here and there, this is the one score that was never released to the public, and probably for good reasons. You know, I, you know, it like two and three, I've always wanted in my collection, and frankly, there were some pretty nice pieces of music in that film, especially the speech at the United Nations. It, it couldn't save the travesty, this this pox on the name of Superman that was Quest for Peace, but hey, what what could? I mean, an act of Congress couldn't have made that movie better. Also included in this set is a whole CD with the music from the 1988 Ruby Spears animated series that aired on CBS. And this is another reason I screamed like a bunch of 13-year-old girls at a Hannah Montana concert when I read the rundown of what was going to be in the set. I loved the Ruby Spears series. It wasn't the best, I mean, compared to, like, you know, Superman the Animated Series or Justice League or Justice League Unlimited, but still, for 88 and for a 12-year-old version of me, it was pretty much all I could have wanted and more. Add to that the bonus CD of source music and alternate cues, plus a 160-page booklet detailing the history of the music, and I am fat with Superman music. And, you know, kind of overweight, but I'm working on that. Anyways, you know, it's it's a wonder I got this podcast recorded at all with that music just sitting there begging for me to listen to it. <sighs> God. Well, you know, trying to get you know the show back on track. I, I was driving to work the other day, and it occurred to me, uh, rather sadly, that I have a lot of useless knowledge crammed into my head. I'm not bragging or anything, because bragging about the obsessive amount of comic trivia I've accumulated over the years is a lot like bragging about being able to eat about three large supreme pizzas from Pizza Huts in one sitting. Sure, you've accomplished something, but it's not really all that good for you. In any case, I thought that if I'm going to have a show like this and talk about comics and such, maybe I can provide some sort of service to you, the listener. 
In keeping with this supposedly magnanimous attitude, I am instituting a new feature here on the show that depends solely on your involvement. It's called Ask Mike Something You Want to Know About Comics, and as the name suggests, I want to help you out if you have some burning question regarding comic books. I may not know the answer off the top of my head, but I will do my damnedest to research it, track it down, and get back to you on the air. If you want to participate, just go ahead and email me your question at viewsfromthelongbox at gmail.com. You'll be glad you did. At least I hope you will. Uh, Before I wrap things up this week, I'd like to remind you that there is still a contest going on here at Views from the Long Box. The fine people at Warner Brothers, or at least the fine people at the marketing firm representing Warner Brothers, have seen fit to give out a free copy of Justice League New Frontier to one of my listeners. All you need to do is go to the blog for this show, located at viewsfromthelongbox.blogspot.com, check out the contest details, listen to last week's episode, and enter via email at viewsfromthelongbox at gmail.com. It's pretty simple. I've gotten a few entries. I want to get as many as possible so I can uh, get as many people involved in the contest to you know, give them a chance to win because free stuff is awesome. It's a pretty kick-ass movie, too, by the way. Look for my review to be up at the blog later this week. Uh, a special thank you, by the way, to those that have entered, including Jordan, J.H., Juan, Azor, uh, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, Thomas, and Allie for entering. It's it's not too late. You have until the 8th of March to get your entry in, because on Sunday, not only am I going to spring forward, but I'm also going to pick a winner to be announced on next week's show. So good luck! And that's it for this time out. The next episode should be out on or around March 12, 2008, and I have no idea what that will be about, as usual. If all goes well, I will be recording another episode with Shag soon, as well as an episode with my good buddy Ryan, whose site hosts this show. So that should be interesting. Uh, make sure you go and check out the blog for this podcast anyways at the previously mentioned viewsfromthelongbox.blogspot.com. There you can find links to all kinds of fantastic and wonderful things involving my incoherent ramblings, including my sometimes weekly column at comicstream.com, the listserv over at theuniquegeek.com, which also has a podcast I participate in. I have another blog called The Blue, the Red, and the Green that I've been ignoring lately, and of course, the occasional reviews at the Super Superman homepage, in addition to a live journal. Also, if you have any comments, questions, opinions, concerns, fears, trepidations, or cheap shots, email them to me at viewsfromthelongbox at gmail.com. Views from the Longbox is presented by Fortress of Bailey 2 Productions in association with MediaGauntlet.com. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.
this could mean the Gotham City, don't you? I'm too young for that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs>